to turn with me to Paul's letter to the Philippians in chapter 3. We're going to be in verses 12 through 16 this morning. 12 through 16 of chapter 3 in Paul's letter to the Philippians. Our sermon title is Pressing for the Prize. Pressing for the Prize as we continue to walk verse by verse through the book of Philippians in our sermon series Enduring Joy. Come to chapter 3, and we're in verse 12. Paul writes, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. This is the word of God. Let us hear it. Let us heed it. This is a very well-known passage, maybe a passage that many of you have uh, liked and is one of your favorites. As most of you know, I really like golf. Now, some of you hate golf, and that's okay. I can forgive you for hating golf. But I really like it, and I grieved this past April when... The Masters was not able to be played, and I was not able to binge in front of my television and watch the Masters and every shot of the Masters, and I have rejoiced this week in November that they have played the Masters in the fall and that I've been able to watch the Masters, and I've got it recording even right now as we are uh, so that I can catch up on all that is going on and all that is uh, being played. So don't tell me what's happened. Um, And I know, again, some of you could care absolutely less. But I have meditated and contemplated and thought about it, and I believe that golf is a great illustration of our sanctification. And that there are many principles in golf that are good for our sanctification. What I mean by that, you know sanctification is the, the progress that we make in holiness. And that it is our becoming more and more like Jesus. Well, in golf, perfection is unattainable. You simply cannot get to that. I don't know what a perfect round of golf is would be or would look like. You might say, well, it's an 18, right? There are 18 holes and you get a one on every hole. Well, that's just not possible. You can't hit it that far to get. And so uh, I don't know what perfection is, but we're all pursuing that, those of us that that tried to play golf. We're trying to get better, trying to improve, trying to to hit it better, to hit it straighter, to hit it longer, to, to do all of those things. Perfection is unattainable, but it is pursued by them. It's also very difficult. You, you, 
one of the raps against people that play golf or professional golfers is they have no personality, that you never see their personality. There have been the few eccentrics that are out there, but most of the time these guys are, are quiet and they, you know, they, you, don't, you don't hear much from them. One of the reasons for that is because golf is very humbling. It's a, a game that if you spout off and you brag, then right around the corner is a duck hook or a lake or an out of bounds or a, a tree that jumps up out of nowhere or a bad swing where you whiff everything. It is, it is you, you can hit a great shot one moment and then the next moment you're, you know, you're behind a tree and in the water and you're gone forever. And so you better not puff your chest out too much because you're only as good as your last swing. And so that's one part of it. The other thing is you can't rest on your laurels. It doesn't matter what you did on this hole yesterday. That doesn't affect what you're about to do on this hole today. You might have doubled it yesterday or you might have birdied it yesterday, but you don't know today what you're about to do. Uh, and what you're about to swing. It doesn't matter playing the Masters or whatever it is if you were last year's champion because that doesn't affect you on today's hole and what you have to do and, and, to, and, what, and specific shots. So you kind of have to forget that. You have to forget what you've just done and you have to focus on what you're doing now looking for that goal of getting that little ball into that little hole so very far away. Uh, my talk about golf or even sports is not accidental to the passage. Paul is using sports imagery, even military imagery before that, in talking about this passage. No, golf hasn't been invented. Paul has no idea what golf is. But... Uh, in similar ways, talking about this racing analogy, we see Paul talking about just some of the principles that I've already outlined that we can learn from a game like golf or whatever it is. And there are many sports that are like unto that. I want you to see, first of all, that what Paul says is that he is, Paul is denying perfection. Paul's denial of perfection is point number one. Paul's denial of perfection. He has just spoken very boldly. He has just talked about his experience, about how all that he had, he has given up, and he's counted as rubbish in order that he may know Christ, in order that he may be found in Christ, that he might uh, share in the sufferings of Christ, that he may know the power of the resurrection of Christ, and that he might become like him in his death, and that by any means possible he may attain to the resurrection of the dead. And he's now saying he doesn't want anyone to misunderstand him. He doesn't want anyone to press his words too far to think that somehow he thinks he's arrived, that somehow he thinks he's actually obtained all that he is striving for thus far. He is denying that he has reached a state of 
perfection. Not that I have already obtained this. And by the way, in the Greek language, that little word this is not there. Not that I have already obtained. He's literally saying something like we say when we say, I've not already arrived. We're not really talking about some destination, but just saying, I haven't, I'm not complete. I'm not finished yet. So Paul is saying he's still at this work in progress. Not that I have already obtained, not that I've already arrived, or that I'm already perfect. He is denying having reached a state of sinless perfection, a, a state of entire sanctification. He's still in the process. He says in verse 13, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. So he's not yet arrived. He's not yet perfect. He's not yet made everything his own. He is denying this state of perfection within himself. Not only is he denying this state of perfection within himself, he is also speaking to his opposition. He's confronting those who are in Philippi or those who have been in churches that he is dealing with, whether it's Corinth, as we know, who not only have this like legalistic Jewish bent to them, but there are others who have this particular bent where they think they have reached some state of superiority, some state of superior knowledge, some state of perfectionism. There's all, all many who would do that, and so he's saying, not only have I not reached this, and you and I know Paul. I mean, we've got Paul up here. You know, there's Jesus and there's Paul. I mean, with regard to his sanctification, he's saying, I'm not yet perfect. I'm I'm still still striving. I haven't I haven't arrived. I've not reached the goal yet. I've not plateaued in any sense. But he's saying, I'm still striving. And so he's denying this perfection, but he's also confronting others who may be claiming some sort of perfection among themselves. There have been different groups that have done this throughout history, and there are different groups today that still try to claim some sort of perfectionism, some sort of over-realized eschatology. That's the big term, that they're saying that all the promises that God has made to us, promises that will be perfectly like Him, that will be without, uh, you know, that will be completely healthy, will get new bodies, that will have the resurrection. They, they may claim that those, those future promises are already here and that we're already experiencing them. That that is that has happened in some groups in that were going on in Corinth. It it it's happened today in the sense that uh, prosperity preachers and word of faith people may claim that some of the the promises of wiping every tear from your eye and, and not being subject to disease and those sorts of things that we hope for and know will be true of us in the future are they say that we already have them so that we won't get sick and that we won't uh, have problems and those sorts of things. We won't sin. 
that we will reach a state of perfectionism. I can remember, and Laurie may remember this, when we used to go to the nursing homes at our first little church, and she'd play the piano, and I would sing. I was, I'm still singing. Somehow I'm still leading singing. Um, and, and they were, y'all are very kind to me. They were a little less kind at times, being honest about the state of my singing. Uh, but, but also, when we would go to the nursing homes and we would lead in the singing, there was one particular lady who clearly had grown up in a denomination and a tradition to where she was taught that she could reach a state of entire sanctification, that she could reach a state of perfectionism, that, they, that she could reach this, this state where she can be where she could not sin, or at least not consciously sin. That does a few things to us. First of all, it 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 make it it cultivates pride, doesn't it? If we have a state of where we believe that we have reached a, a state of of sanctification, entire sanctification, then it cultivates a pride, a sense of superiority that I have reach this and you get you do not get this at all with the apostle Paul he's completely denying it he's one of us he's in this struggle with sin like us the other thing that this believing in the perfectionism does is we have to redefine what perfection is don't we and usually they redefine sanctification redefine perfection so that what they say is not that a person would not sin at all but that they would not consciously sin, not, not knowingly sin. They might accidentally sin, but they wouldn't knowingly know the, the, the ways of God. Well, that's not a Christianity that I'm familiar with. It's certainly not one that I've ever experienced. I, I not only sin accidentally, but I, I sin high-handedly too, far too often, knowingly knowingly sin. But another thing that it, it does is it creates kind of uh, this two-class sort of Christianity. You have those that have reached this state of sanctification, those who have reached the state of perfectionism, and those who have not. So you have this haves and have-nots within Christianity. And so the haves and the have-nots have this pride and sense of superiority that they look down on those who have not yet fully been sanctified, fully experienced the, the fullness of the Spirit or whatever it is that they might say with regard to this. And so I think that one other reason I, I would say that perfectionism and this doctrine of perfectionism that is in some traditions or that you hear sometimes is it also leads to a certain stagnation. A certain contentedness with where you are. And this is probably where it hits us the most. That at times we can, may feel this because of our doctrine of assurance. When we have a, a, a poor understanding of what it means once saved, always saved. And I don't really like that terminology. But when we have a poor understanding of that sort of doctrine, 
then a person might reach a state where they believe they're now okay and kind of can rest on past laurels and just kind of can don't have to try anymore, don't have to pursue sanctification, that they can just sit back and, and let it be and let it go. And all of that is strictly denied by Paul here. We see that's not the case with Paul at all and because he knows that he's not yet obtained this. He's not yet reached his goal. He's still striving. He's still running. He's still racing. So we see, first of all, Paul's denial of perfection. Second of all, I want you to see Paul's pursuit of perfection. He denies it, and then he pursues perfectionism and maturity or sanctification is what I'm using here for perfection, really. He says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. So he denies it, first of all, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So he, he says, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. He talks about pressing on to make it. This is very violent, even military language. That I, I attack it and seize it. I'm pressing in order to take hold of it, in order to seize it, in order to grab it, in order to conquer it. This land or a position or a, a post that I'm storming in order to take hold of, in, a, in order to take control of, I am pursuing this. And so this is requires strenuous effort. Paul says it first, then he tells where this motivation comes from, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And one thing I love about Paul is that he never forgets that Damascus road. He never forgets the blinding light, the appearance of Jesus. He never forgets that that who he was, what he was doing, and that Christ appeared and took hold of him. So what is he saying? He's saying, I'm pressing on, I'm seeking perfection, I'm striving for this goal, because God took hold of me. And God, this originated in Jesus Christ, he initiated this, he's working in me, and because of all of that, he who began a good work is going to carry it on to completion. Because of all of that, I'm going to continue. I'm going to strive. I'm going to, to keep going. I'm going to push on. So Christ is the, the initiator and the motivator of this pursuit of perfection that is within Paul. Now, he calls them brothers in verse 13. We've already seen that he has talked about this denial of perfection and the pursuit of perfection. But now he illustrates this pursuit of perfection and he talks about it as a runner in a race. He says in verse 13, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind 
and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I do not consider that I've made it my own. I do not consider that I've arrived, that I've gotten there. As a runner in a race, they always are trying to shave time. They always think that they can go faster, that they can do it better, that, that no race is perfect. He said, I haven't reached it. I haven't gotten there yet. I, I can still do better. I can still try harder. I can still, with, within the grace of God and within the power of God that raised the dead, I can still go. I haven't made it my own. So we see this denial of having arrived, but also this single-minded focus. This one thing I do. This one thing I do that he's got... He's got no other focus on his mind, but this is, this is what I'm, I'm trying to do. I'm not, he's not distracted by a million different things. He's pursuing sanctification, pursuing the high calling of Jesus Christ. This one thing I do, he's, he's single-minded in his focus. And we see that with top-notch athletes, don't we? They, they don't... You know, that's not usually their side hustle. That's what they do. They, they, they train. They single-mindedly focus. They might have other things that they have to do, but if they want to win, they have to give themselves to this 24-7. One thing I do, and then they have to forget the past. Forgetting what lies behind. Forgetting what lies behind. If you're running a race, you can't run backwards and expect to win, right? You can't glance over your shoulder all the time and expect to win. August 7, 1954, in the British Empire Games in Vancouver, Canada, it was touted as a, the great match, and it was between two milers, two people that ran the mile. Roger Bannister of England and John Landry of Australia, the only two guys to have ever broken the four-minute mile at that point. And so they were going to race, and it was, it was a big matchup. Bannister had the, the idea that he was going to lay off on the third lap and save his energy for the fourth and put it all in there. Well, that all changed when John Landry went out on the third lap and just started tearing down. So he put all his energy into it, and he was running away with it. Bannister had to turn on the jets and change his strategy mid-race. Well, as they came around the final lap, the crowd is roaring, and Landry can't hear Bannister gaining on him. And so because he doesn't know where Bannister is, he looks over his shoulder, and because of that, Bannister passes him, and he gets off rhythm. Bannister passed him and won the British Empire Games. Famously, so you can't you can't look around. You can't look behind you. And this is true. Paul is what Paul is saying, and maybe we think when we when we talk about forgetting what lies behind, we are probably thinking, forgetting all of our past mistakes. And there's, there's some of that, but Paul is talking about not resting on his laurels. 
not resting on, on those victories that he's seen, not resting on, on those churches that he's planted and, and those things that, that he has done, forgetting what lies behind like a, a good uh, runner in the race. And the application to this for us is maybe multi, multifaceted because we have different situations. Maybe we're looking behind because most of our life is behind us and we're, we tend to live towards the past, maybe because of great loss or bereftment, because of our grief, we, we may tend to, to face backwards. Maybe because of, fast, of past mistakes and regrets that we made that have you know, derailed our lives and, and made great consequences that we, we have to live with, that we may look back and not forward. Maybe, you know, we, we do rest on past victories and laurels or things that we've done and, and think, I'm, I'm good here and I don't need to pursue sanctification or perfection anymore. But he's telling us, forget what's been done. There's a race before us, a race that's still there. Start where you are and start pursuing obedience. You can't run this race. You can't live this life. The Christian life is not lived in reverse and it's not lived looking backwards. It is lived looking forward to what the new mercies of God, new, new opportunities that God is giving us. Forget what lies behind. We can't change the past, can we? We may not have wished it, may not have wanted it. We may see our mistakes. We may have regrets. We may, there may be a lot of ifs, but we cannot change those things. God is sovereign over these things. Forget what lies behind. Run this race. So the past is in the past. And notice Paul is not saying for, that this is a kind of a selected forgetfulness. He's not forgetting God's mercy yet. We just talked about he's not forgotten the Damascus Road. He's not, he's not forgotten that God has got him and God is working in him. And it's, it's a selective sort of amnesia. He's just saying when you're pursuing perfection, pursuing sanctification, you can't be thinking about all the other stuff, all of the other baggage, all of the other things that have happened. That's true in golf for sure. You can't think about that last shot that you just made that went in the water. Or it'll stay with you and affect the next one. So we not only think, do not think about the past, but he is straining forward to what lies ahead. The future is there. And you see this, this runner who is running forward, straining forward, agonizing forward, hurtling towards the goal line. And you can see him pressing on, trying to, to with his chest, break the, the goal line, break the ribbon, if you will. 
pressing on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So he forgets the past, straining towards the future, and in the present, he is single-mindedly focused on pressing forward. Onward, forward, upward to the high call of God in Christ Jesus. This is the future resurrection. This is the sanctification. This is the perfection that is out there that we haven't yet obtained, but it's promised to us. The good news is you won't reach perfection in this life, but in the next life you will. And But you will progress in sanctification. You will progress just as you've you play more golf or you, you know, shoot more arrows or you, you know, uh, race more cars or I don't know if you get better at shopping or, you know, bake more cakes or this is terribly sexist, isn't it? Whatever it is that you're doing, whatever it is that you're doing, you get better at it with practice. get better at it. And he's saying that we're pressing on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Are you training to live the Christian life like like an athlete trains? Are we exercising our spiritual muscles? Are we, as Paul talks about, buffeting our body in order to you know, conform it to Christ and what He's called us to. Lastly, I want you to see Paul's thinking about perfection, verses 15 and 16. Paul's thinking about perfection. Let perfection. Let those of us who are mature, literally that word is the same as perfect. Let those of us who are perfect think this way. Basically saying, There are those of you in Philippi who are claiming to be perfect. You're claiming to have arrived already. He's saying, everybody who thinks they're perfect ought to recognize they're not. They ought to recognize that they they haven't reached it. And this idea of perfection can mean maturity. Let those of us who are actually spiritually mature recognize that we haven't yet reached perfection, but we're pursuing it. We're pursuing it. We're going all out after perfection, but we haven't arrived as of yet. And so the spiritually mature person is not someone who thinks that they've reached a a state of sanctification or a state of of perfection in any way. That person is not spiritually mature at all. Let those who are mature think this way. If anyone of you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Let's hold true. Let's hold fast. Let us continue the course. Let's stay in this this lane in which we're pursuing this call of God. Some of you have seen the movie Chariots of Fire. It didn't get everything right, but it talks about a figure named Eric Liddell. And Eric Liddell, the flying Scotsman, who... um, there was one particular race in the 440 meters where on the, around the first curve, they, they got bunched up. 
and he went sprawling and fell down. Well, he gets up and he starts hurtling towards the goal line and he passes them all. And uh, because we see this, this is what it means to press towards the goal, to continue. We get knocked down. You and I get, we may stumble, we may fall, we may make mistakes, but he, he forgets what lies behind. He doesn't shake his fist in the air at God. He doesn't, you know, cuss out the other athletes. What does he do? He, he pursues the goal line. And he passes them all. Those of you who think you're mature, pursue God in this way. Press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I like how Paul doesn't really define what that means, is it? All the glorious promises that God has for us and the blessings that God has for us in Christ. And we talked about how Christ himself is the ultimate prize of the victor, this, this crown of life that we are given. All of the great goal and prizes of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Everything that the scripture has promised to us will be ours. Hold true to what we have and what we have attained. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father,